Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to the Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Chocolate to savor. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. We have a great episode for you today. It's our fifth big night in, and this time we were delighted to have a Saturday night chat on Zoom with author, playwright, and Irish Times columnist, Hilary Fannin. And I've developed this habit that's really annoying everybody. I put things into things. That's my my reaction. You're going to have to explain that a bit more. What do you yeah, mean you put things says, in well, things? Why do you, I put things in things? So I find a key and I put it in a flower pot. You know, I find the kitchen roll and I put it in the hot press. I put things in things in the vainglorious hope that it won't get lost. And the result is nobody can find anything, you know. Big day today. Phase two is go. We can have up to six people around to our homes, indoors or outdoors, and at a social distance. Loads of shops are reopening. If you're into that, there's plenty of places to go. But I can't say I'm going to be rushing out to join physically distant queues. I think I'm still a bit wary and I don't actually yet feel the need for retail therapy Although that could all change when Penny's opens on Friday. So we'll see how I feel then. But whatever you're planning to do, I hope you have loads of fun catching up in real life with friends and relations. We still can't hug. And I've written about that on irishtimes.com today. I've written about this thing called touch starvation, which is really hard for some people. So again, just trying to mind each other, checking in on people, especially the ones who live alone. Because if you've got a partner and kids or if you've just got a partner at this time, at least you have someone you can get all the hugs from that you need. But if you're on your own, you haven't had a hug for months and that's really, really hard. Uh, I actually think we should be able to nominate Cuddle Buddies and maybe uh, Leo Vradker and Tony Holohan will bring that in at some point. We'll see. Cuddle Buddies, it's a nice one. We got a lot of feedback from our How To Be Anti-Racist podcast. And I just wanted to say that we're not going to drop that subject. We'll be coming back to it again and again. And just on that, something really great that I found was an old episode of Oprah Winfrey's show from 1992, where this incredible anti-racist activist, Jane Elliott, did an exercise with Oprah's audience. It's this blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment that some of you might be familiar with. But anyway, I'd urge you to go and look it up and also look up the work of Jane Elliott, who's a white woman who's been working in this area since the 1960s. Honestly, it's a fantastic episode of Oprah back in 1992. It's it's kind of incredible to think, uh, you know, that it's taken now for, for things to possibly, possibly change. But back to today's episode, many of you will know the brilliant Hilary Fannin from her column every Friday in the Irish Times. She writes about life and relationships and domestic drudgery and her cat sometimes. And she always writes with warmth and humour. She had a memoir out a couple of years ago called Hopscotch. And just as the pandemic started here, she launched her debut novel, The Weight of Love, which has been praised by Anne Enright and Marion Keyes. It's a beautiful love story and it's about how sometimes you wake up one day and wonder about your life and what you think uh, might have happened had you chosen a different path. We had such a great response to this event and it's because Hillary's so engaging, so beautifully spoken and just so wise. The perfect tonic in fact for these times. I know you're really going to enjoy this and thanks so much to our brilliant audience on the night who were from California and the Cayman Islands and Canada and lots of other places, beginning with all sorts of letters, not just C, a truly international gathering. I started by asking Hilary about how she's been getting on in the pandemic. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it changes, doesn't it? It doesn't kind of remain the same. I mean, initially, I think I felt very gung-ho and kind of pioneering, like along with everybody. Um, I found my garage. It's not attached to the house, and I found it down the lane, um, literally. And we cleared that out, and um, I thought about painting things, and I thought about painting walls and painting pictures and I all sorts of plans to you know take my wardrobe apart and throw out everything that doesn't fit me anymore and you know I went through all of that you know and then I was thinking and I'm going to cook and I'm going to make bread I've done nothing I mean I've done absolutely and I mean it like just nothing you know my kitchen is full of gym equipment barbells I don't use any of this but I've got two sons one is 23 and he's just come back from London he lost his flat and everything with COVID and then I've got an 18 year old who isn't doing his leaving at the moment who would have been doing his leaving so we've got you know quite a small house full of chicken breasts and barbells and everything is really filthy and the walls are filthy and I'm sick of it I'm just sick of it I'm sick of um I'm sick of what's the stuff you put in the toilet all the time that's I spent I'm always in the Bleach. toilet, yeah, yeah. Most of my life cleaning toilets, yeah. <laughs> I'm really, I, Hilary, you're making me really wish I hadn't asked you on. I can't believe this. Sorry, you're talking yeah. about like <laughs> the toilet, yeah, yeah. No, I am. There's loads of things, isn't there, Roisin? I mean, I suppose on one level, you're living with people on in an unbroken way. So there are four of us have been here with one another, and so you're negotiating that. And at times that feels like a kind of strategic game, like chess or something, you know. Everybody's trying to give each other space. I don't have, you know, they're not little children, so we do an awful lot of trying to negotiate space. And I've developed, um, you know, I work at home anyway. I don't go out to work. I'm freelance. I've been freelance all my life. So I usually work at the kitchen table anyway. So that's not too different for me. Um, and my husband took early retirement, I don't know, what, about five years ago or something, four years ago. So I'm kind of used to him being around as well. But, but our children being back with us full time feels a bit different. And I've developed this habit that's really annoying everybody. I put things into things. That's my, my reaction. You're going to have to explain that a bit more. What do you so mean put things says, into things? Well, you, I put things in things. So I find a key and I put it in a flower pot, you know. I find the kitchen roll and I put it in the hot press. I put things in things in the vain glorious hope that it won't get lost and the result is nobody can find anything, you know. And also, you know, Giles, my husband's like, where's the, and he's like this and the tension in his neck, you know. Earlier it was the kitchen roll and he said, where's the kitchen roll? And I said, oh, it's in the hot press. And he said, right, so the word kitchen wouldn't be a bit of a giveaway, you know, that kind of we're maybe getting a bit on each other yeah are you gone a bit mad Hillary because I think a lot of us here and you can all nod and wave if you've gone a bit mad in this time because I think it's okay to express that yeah and some of you are just staying very quiet but it's fine go on I swam swam twice I think you were swimming as well yes I went to the Shelley Branks it was amazing I went to uh because so I'm we're really lucky you know perhaps this is I worry like well we are really lucky because the sea is that way and the park is that way. And though both of those things have been within our radius. So I've been swimming and my son, my eldest son has been swimming and I've been bringing him swimming and kind of paddling around with him. And that is really amazing. And that's really kind of elemental and you start feeling better. Mm. But yeah, man, I think the nerves are fraying a bit, you know, for sure. And I think a big part of that is that we are isolated from many things, but, but what we're left with is ourself, right? And so there's a certainly, I find that the journey that might have been outward, you know, might have been about putting on my lippy and going in to, you know, meet you, rushing for a cup of coffee to talk about work or whatever, is gone, you know. So the journey is internal. And, you know, I find myself living with my past a lot more. I find myself living with losses a lot more. I find myself thinking about my childhood a lot. I find myself in those kinds of zones that normally are easy to distract yourself from, you know? And I'm not managing, you know, that distraction isn't there. So you, you, you remain much closer to whatever it is, you know? And whether that's joy or pain or memory or whatever that is, I think that... The journey is internal 
in there. And that's not always easy. No, I think this is a really good time to bring in um, The Weight of Love, just putting it up there, because we like a good plug on the women's podcast and our big night in. Your book, um, I think one of the things about it is that after reading it, I definitely felt like um, it's that sliding doors thing. You know, we all have moments in our life where we could have gone one way or some relationship we had that could have been the one we ended up in, but we didn't. And this book is very much about that, about kind of choices we make and where they end up. And then you get to a certain point in your life and you think, how did I become this person? Maybe I was supposed to be another person. And I also think that's very much the kind of normal people effect that has happened re- recently with the with the TV series. I don't know if you all agree, but I like I feel like that thing of looking back into our past lives. If you're a certain age, like I'm 48, it's made me kind of go back into places I, I had thought I had left far behind, you know. And I think that's a really interesting theme to explore. So tell us a bit about the book and about that whole side of things. Yeah, well, the book was, I mean, on it, it, it covers all of those bases. It is about that moment. It is about being, you know, kind of waking up one day and thinking, well, here I am. And how did I get here? And taking, again, that internal journey back to the past and seeing where that road diverged. And at what point did you relinquish one possibility and pick up another possibility? So it's a triangulated love story. I don't know if you any of you guys have read it, but it's a kind of triangulated... Wave your hands if you've read it. We've got Emer Fisher nodding. We've got Michelle Forbes. Jane is waving madly there. Yes, you've got some readers here. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it is that sliding doors moment. And the book is... There are two time frames in the book. One is London in 1995. The other is Dublin now. And... So we meet the characters when they're in their mid-twenties and then we meet them again later when they're in their kind of late forties, coming up to 50. And that triangulated love story has played out between these three people for, for really for a quarter of a century. Um, a memory, you know, God, it's a book about memory. And we were talking a little bit earlier, I don't want to leave The Weight of Love, but I wrote a, a memoir about four or five years ago called Hopscotch. And again, you're traveling backwards um, into kind of moments that you can't forget or that you can't leave go of. And I think we talked, Roisin, about that, that all of us have an ability, I think, and especially in a lockdown situation where we have a little bit more stillness or a bit more time to negotiate a way into our pasts and into our memories and to unlock a door into the storeroom of memory. And in many ways, Weight of Love is, is about somebody coming to terms with memory and coming to terms with their new reality, or the current reality, I should say. Yeah. I just, I was distracted there by a lovely comment from Brenda Harrington. And she says, Roisin and Hillary, you are my normal people. Thank you for connecting us all. Isn't that so nice? Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah. And there's someone I else. have to have very, very sophisticated sex as well, Roisin. No. <laughs> That's okay. I'm leading the Fifth Amendment on that one. Uh, And Lorna says, adding it to my list, I constantly look back at certain crossroads moments of my life and wonder what if. Um, So tell us a bit about the characters in the book, because that's kind of what happens. There's, there's, as you said, this triangle kind of going on. I love triangle. So the three people in in the, the three kind of main players in the book are Ruth, who is who we meet at 25 and again at about 48 or whatever. Uh, When we meet her, she's married to Robin and who she met in London in 1995. And and then there is the person that she was in love with when they're in London, and his name is Joseph. And he's Robin's best friend, or was Robin's best friend. It's just kind of plotty in that way, you know what I mean? It's a bit of an emotional whodunit, in a way, you know. Well, people have um, said really amazing, you've had amazing reviews, like the kind of dream reviews that you couldn't even imagine in your wildest uh, dreams and Anne Enright has said it's heartache for grown-ups and Marion Keyes said it's beautiful and painful and exquisite I mean you couldn't really ask for more no it's been really the reviews have been absolutely amazing and it's been an extraordinary time because the book uh, launched on the 19th of March which was about two days after we all went into lockdown right and like my son who lives in London flew home to go to the launch party oh. and back you know what I mean and there was no launch party um, so I've been incredibly lucky with the reviews and the reviews have been fantastic and there's been great generosity towards the book. And I have to 
I really have to say, give a shout out for our booksellers. You know, I don't know where you guys are living all around the country. Booksellers are working so diligently to get books out there to readers. And as soon as they were allowed back into their shops to start packing up and posting out the books, they have been just really amazing. And the net result is that, yes, sales are down on what they would normally be. And it's and it's really sad not to be able to do the festivals and get out and meet readers. And that's really heartbreaking. But um, but the book, but books are moving, you know, books are selling. And that is down to the readers, you know, wanting that intimacy, wanting that connection, but also down to the booksellers just getting in there every single day. Yeah. Up. And I mean, really, they are they are front line, you know, in my heart. Yeah, they are front line. Yeah, I know what you mean. And they're back open on Monday, I think somebody's saying so. Uh, but I, it's incredible. The booksellers are all reporting amazing online sales. I mean, isn't it just wonderful that during this time, I mean, I did have a time where I found it very difficult to read and to focus on anything. And it's kind of, um, I've kind of come back now. I'm, I'm back again to my normal reading self. The, the, the best um, the best reviews that I've got have been from readers, though, and have been from people, you know, putting on Twitter and stuff and saying, I can read this book in lockdown. You know, this is the book. That I've been oh, that's to. great. And you just think, oh, man, that's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not pretending to be anything else. It is It is a kind of just a, a look, a kind of very truthful look at who, who we are and mm. how we got to be who we are. Well, speaking of how we got to be who we are, would you tell people a little bit about Hopscotch you haven't read it? I'm sure some of you have read, but some of you might not. Tell us a little bit about your quite... Um, you had quite a different upbringing, it has to be said. Is that is that fair enough? I mean, it, it was bohemian. It was a little bit dysfunctional. And yet it was in this very um, uh, traditional Ireland that we recognise. But your your life within your home was very different. So you had the kind of clash of cultures, really. Yeah, big time. I mean, I was born in 1962 and um, I was eight years younger than my three siblings. Well, my siblings were 10, 9 and 8 when I was born. And my parents had, um, oh man, I think like a lot of people, you know, they were, they actually had met in NCAD in art college. Um, my father, they both, my mother was acting in the gaiety and the capital at that time. She was also singing and uh, she was a very creative character, as was my father. They met, I mean, Mary, my mother used to say, and I, I might probably have said this before, she used to say, if I'd met him like, you you know girls she'd say to myself my sisters and we'd be cringing like you can meet people and you can sleep with them and you can have an affair and then you can move on and she said we should have had an affair and moved on but of course it was you know she met him in 1901 or whenever it was you know she met him when she was in her 20s and um and that that kind of situation wasn't available to them so they ended up having three children very, very quickly and moving out of their little flat on Leeson Street and moving to the suburbs. And um, their lives went very haywire at that point. They weren't good at suburban life. Uh, They were both lovely people, both creative, very creative people, and they struggled immensely with being parents and living in, in, in those more straightened ways in a society that's... His expectations um, were that Mary would stay at home and mind the children and that Bob would go out and have a regular job and bring back the, bring back the potatoes or whatever. And neither, neither of them managed to do that awfully well. But um, we didn't have much furniture, but um, we had great food. My mother was a wonderful cook. She had a bit of Italian antecedents and like we were eating spaghetti on our road when nobody had her. <laughs> there was no spaghetti. I don't know. I think she don't know where she got it. Um, they were wonderful. But anyway... My father met somebody else um, around about the time I was born. In fact, the story goes, and I hope it's not boring people with this, but um, my father's lover went to a clinic on Leeson Street to have her teeth straightened. Um, She was a a wealthy woman and childless. And my mother went into um, another little hospital on Leeson Street to have me. Um, because although they had very little money, my father had uh, very strong ideas about um, where people should be born. So Leeson Street was But anyway, so the story is that he bought two bunches of flowers and he brought one to his girlfriend <gasps> having her teeth straightened and the other to my mother who had me, you know. And so this was the 
Tell me if I'm rambling now. Stop me if I'm rambling. No, you're not. You're you're <laughs> gripping us all. I think I can speak for everyone. Carry on. <laughs> a couple of years ago, before I wrote Hopscotch, um, I work. I do quite a bit of work with Fighting Words. That's Roddy Doyle's organisation and Sean Love. Um, you know, working with young writers and giving them the right to write. And um, most of that work is voluntary. And so sometimes you're offered a course that you can do as a kind of um, thank for the voluntary work that you're doing and so Carlo Gebler who's the son of uh, Edna O'Brien I don't know if you guys have, have read no Carlo but anyway he's marvelous and he's a fantastic writer and teacher and um, so I was lucky enough to do a weekend workshop in Fighting Words with Carlo Gebler and the workshop was on autobiographical writing and he said well does anybody have uh, anybody got a story Uh, anybody got a sentence uh a story and the room is very quiet and i'm always always i see my own hand going up and i want to pull it down again shut up anyway so my hand up and said um oh well you know my dad um like I was born, you know, and, and he bought two bunch of flowers, like one for his missus, his girlfriend who's having her teeth straight and the other for my mother, you know. And he said, just write it, Hillary, just write it. And that was hopscotch. And so that was the kind of, I had never considered that I could write a book before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, but suddenly he just kind of said, yeah, that's, that's enough. That is, that is, there is, there is, your book is contained within that, you know, write it. And uh, and so I did, and it was really joyful to to write it. In the I mean, after after a couple after years of trying to live suburban lives, um, it kind of really did fall apart. The bailiffs came and knocked on the front door, took all the furniture, took the clothes. My older siblings were had nowhere to live. They they went off. I went to stay with some friends, and eventually my parents found a place, a little summer house in Hoth. On the right down on the cliffs near the Bailey, um, which was owned by an amazing woman called Alicia Bailey Butler, who who had an estate there. And this was a summer, a little summer house that wasn't used very often. So she let us rent that. And so I moved in with my pa- there with my parents eventually. And that began a little journey around Hose Hill and to various different rented houses around the hill, which culminated ultimately in, um, you know, they had no money. They never had any money. There was no money. There just was no money whatsoever. And but but they were lovely people, and they were and they had a lot of support from friends and from people who did genuinely love them. So then my mom ended up in a in a in a council flat uh, not far from where I live now, and it, that was brilliant. And her life completely changed. She was in her eighties when she moved in, um, and. There's a part of The Weight of Love where Ruth goes back to visit her mother who has moved into a council flat in a Midland town and who experiences intense kindness from her Nigerian neighbours, and which my mother did. And I remember, you know, um, I'd go and see Mary and she would, she would be, have been given food by her Nigerian neighbours who lived upstairs. And my mother was could draw, you know, she, she was really good at, drawing and she had loads and loads of paints and always her table was covered in paint so then all the little children from the flat used to come in and they used to she used to draw with them and like I always admired her ability to to be really responsive to change you know what I mean and not to carry some expectation that she deserved something you know she was really protean she was really able to to live with 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 change, and that's something that I really admired about her. Um, actually, it's really nice because Elizabeth Goldrick, hi Elizabeth, has said, Hilary, I think it's very touching how warmly and lovingly you speak of your parents and the great respect you have for them, despite the difficulty growing up. Because you know, it wasn't an orthodox childhood, and maybe maybe well, I think it's made you the writer you are because you have you saw things at a young age, maybe that. Well, there's one part of Hot Swatch where you talk about your father bringing you to the home of the person he was having an affair with and you were in another room and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, but I mean, the thing is, like, I don't know. I mean, I think at some stage we have to stop being children. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think at some stage, you know, I do meet people who say, oh, my mom did this, you know, I'm looking at this person, oh, she's 58. You know, like, at what point do we do we stop 
we need to take, um, I don't mean to say we need to, I find it more helpful to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. And to imagine myself into their lives. And, you know, man alive, if I married the guy I was with when I was 21, I would not be sitting here now. <laughs> that is the truth. He's a lovely fella and all that. But I wouldn't be here now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't have had the journey that I, I have had. And, God, you know, and they were talented people. Mary and Bob were both really talented. Bob became a cartoonist. And some of you might remember his cartoons from the Herald and the, in the Indo and being at Business and Finance magazine and the Farmer's Journal and... So he wanted to be a painter, you know, his dream was to be a painter. And um, he ended up being a cartoonist. And But that was fine too. And then Mary, um, the nuns in Holy Faith in Clintarf, where my mother went to school when she was a tot. Um, and her, her, my mother's sister, Kuchi, Gemma, was a nun. And we used to call her Kuchi. And anyway, they, the nuns gave Mary a, a job as a drama teacher in Holy Faith in Clintarf. She didn't have any qualifications, but she was fabulous and they loved her. And a really funny thing happened to me very, a couple of weeks ago, just before lockdown. Um, Penguin Ireland had a, a, a kind of little dinner for publishers and um, booksellers. And this beautiful woman came up to me and she said, you're Hilary Fannin. And I said, yeah. And she said, your mother was the biggest influence on my life. And she started to cry. We were in this restaurant, you know, with this very, I was nervous going into, I'm yeah, very nervous. I was very nervous going into the restaurant, meeting all these people. And, you know, you're, you're kind of like a secondhand car salesman. You know, you're trying to sell your book and like, oh yeah, yeah, my book's good. And, um, and this girl, and she said, I'm here because of your mother. And she started to cry. And of course, I was gone. But like, Mary had a great warmth you know what I mean she had great she just had great warmth and that that kind of uh, made an awful lot of things happen that maybe wouldn't have happened yeah no it's lovely to hear you speak so well about it I think everyone's really enjoying listening to you Hilary I always um I always put all the screens on like I'm looking at you all and I'm as we're talking I'm flicking through because I'm like um Gay Byrne always said at the Late Late Show back when he did it that he, the way he knew if something was going well, uh, he would always be in touch with the room, with the audience that were actually physically in the Late Late Show, and he'd be checking in. And I just can see how you're all so engaged. And just to say that to you, Hilary, in case you're wondering, you were rambling. Someone said, no, you're not rambling. Keep going. And I just <laughs> want to say a shout out to a couple of people. Maura from County Tyrone. She says she's a Zoom newbie. So I want to say hello to Maura. And Deanna is in California. And is, is loving it. And there's lots of people, actually, there's people from all over the place, all different countries. So it's great. Shout out to all of them. You are listening to the Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Discover a different kind of dark. Now, let's talk about your column, because you've been doing it for 10 years. It's every Friday in the Irish Times. Um, and I just love, you just say it like it is. It, you You talk about all sorts of things. You reflect... Um, you know, life for a lot of people, I think. And you were named, it should be said, this is a brilliant accolade that Hillary got last year. We were at the Journalism Awards and Hillary was up for this Columnist of the Year Award and also Fintan O'Toole, who I have a very, you know, fondness for. And I'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. I love Fintan O'Toole. Anyway, and, um, it was Fintan and Hillary and a few other people and Hillary won. And it was the most joyous moment when you went up because I was Hillary's editor um, I used to, you know, I got the joy of reading Hillary's column before anyone else. And I just loved it every week to see what, what you'd be going on about. So tell us a bit about your column and where you're at with it. And also your uh, Gwyneth Paltrow watch, because you're always checking in with Gwyneth Paltrow. She, she completely fascinates me. I mean, she absolutely <laughs> fascinates me. I mean, she's, you know, it's like, um, it's like a, a observing a planet, you know, like she is... <laughs> You know, she is otherworldly, truly. Um, I'll get back to Gwyneth, but um, the, the column, uh, you know, it's really lucky because, like I said, I'm freelance. I try to make my living as a, a writer and um, doing some work with writing words as well now, um, teaching a playwriting program to young writers. But um, so the column was brilliant and I had written the TV review and what it, 
I have no formal training as a journalist. I have no formal training as anything, in truth. And well, uh, I'm I'm your sister. Not, none of that formal training. Is that Giles behind or one of the no, Belbar people? That's Peter. He's coming in to grab his. Uh, okay. His hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, yeah, quick say hello. What were you doing today? Were you out? Um... I was out at the march today. Yeah, for the protest. Yeah. Brilliant. Cool. We're going to talk about that later too. You're looking very well, I must say. Is that a Corona beard you've got rocking there? Yeah, I've just, you know, it's the result of no hairdressers being open for such a long time. And his mother it suits you, suits you. Oh, well, thanks for saying, you know, it's been a mixed reaction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, see you, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye. A little cameo there from Hillary's real-life uh, Corona beard. Son. Yeah, that's my, yeah. Can I just say for the record, he's about to be 24. I have no control of whether he goes, what he does with his life. I'm just, I just feed him. I, anyway, there you well, go. I just want to say your glasses are very fancy. Your the ones you're holding. Rather, no, not them ones. Oh, the one yeah. you're, yeah, you know those ones as well. But I think I only have two of these left, but I got married when I was, um, <laughs> God, you, uh, I got married when I was, my husband was 50 and he's 61 now, it's two, whatever. I got married about 12 years ago. We already had two boys and um a f- I a friend of mine I had a friend of mine had got married years ago you know when she was in her 20s and she always had beautiful glasses and I said oh this is what you have to do you just got to get married to get you know somebody gives you nice glasses is that it you know so then about 20 <laughs> years later when I got married she rocked up with these glasses which I put in the dishwasher all the time yeah uh, you see I haven't got married yet Hillary right and um but I just feel like you know I was doing some cocktail I do a bit of cocktail zoom master class with a few friends who are very good at making cocktails and they're all like get your martini glasses and I'm like oh I don't have any like I've had to go and buy them in lockdown martini glasses so I think getting married like at least you could get loads of stuff that you don't actually have I feel like that's a good reason yeah yeah certainly it's the only reason good reason to get married is um for getting stuff. glasses yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, the column is great because it, it's a, you know, first of all, it's a weekly gig. Uh, you get paid every, you know, you get paid once a month, which is really fantastic in this business. And the arts are really suffering. And, you know, it's a very difficult time for people that are working in theatre, for actors, for playwrights, for designers, for directors, all the rest of it. And I'm, I feel myself hugely fortunate to have a gig that brings in um, a weekly paycheck. Um, and also the thing that is pretty extraordinary about it is that it, I, I have no brief other than if it's already in the paper, don't write about it. That's yeah. it. That's all I've been told. So um, sometimes that is terrifying and sometimes you feel like um, you're going to fall through through the, through very <laughs> and drown, like before you even, you know, know. Um, Sometimes, I mean, you're doing it and you're doing it twice a week now, Roshin, and I just think, like, I wouldn't be able to sleep if I was doing it. <laughs> do you know what's really weird, though? I, I know what you mean. I thought when I, when they said to me, maybe do two weeks, I was like, Ugh, I nearly got sick. And then just get very disciplined and you're like, and there's so much, in a way, there's nothing going on. And then in other ways, there is so much going on emotionally and we're all, we're all roller coaster of emotions the whole time. So I've just been trying to kind of... Um, tune into that and it's been really nice the reaction actually i'm sure you found it as well people are really wanting to just to hear how other people are getting on and what, um, and what they're doing and weirdly i found you know because sometimes writing columns for a living is really 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 difficult and like you you know i'm supposed to <laughs> Roshan, well, i'm supposed to file on a friday evening you know and sometimes sometimes i get the old email going um uh, routine <laughs> help yeah but, but um, i hope that i always responded in the way that every columnist is late i was always like absolutely fine because i know that feeling myself so i never wanted to make you feel bad <laughs> it's the weirdest job in the world it really yeah. is um it's like you're always you always haven't done your homework is how you feel you know that feeling when you were young and you'd wake up and you go oh god of english first class and i haven't done my homework that's i feel that, like i feel that all the time i gotta yeah. constant burning sensation just about here like I haven't done my homework um but look you know it's what a privilege eh? and the other thing about lockdowns like you're saying you know well I my palate is very limited here you know like everybody else's you know I've only got three colors you know to work with and so that's what I've got to do yeah easier in a weird way it's kind of like I, I agree I agree exactly I totally sorry this is one columnist to another feeling the I hope this isn't boring but it's just it's, I really relate to what Hillary's saying but also then when the colors expand when you 
go somewhere and suddenly you're on the street and walking towards you is Michal Martin and you realize you're outside your 2K and suddenly you're talking to Michal Martin and confessing, this is me, I confess to Michal Martin on the street that I was out of my 2K. And as it's happening, like I'm out of my body, but part of me is going, Jesus, Roisin, this is going to be a great column. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so mad isn't it and you do things that you'd never normally do if you're like you know really like today we drove uh, my husband and I drove to this organic market and part of it was because I got paid yesterday right so we drove to this organic market because I just think if I have to you know I've spent so much of my life in guns you know that's I just <laughs> I'm going around doing the same like you know oh man I'm endlessly you know and my husband said to me this morning, do we need more toilet paper? And something in my head just clicked. And I just thought, I am not going into that supermarket. I am so tired of those jumbo things. You know, I, I'm just not going to do it. I'm an artist, you know. I got rebellious, but I'm not. No, anyway, so we went to this organic market, right? And I'm thinking, well, this is going to be great. Okay, I'm going I went in and I bought four chicken breasts and a bit of salami, <laughs> right? And your man said to me, 33 euro I nearly fell over I said what you know what did you send the bloody chicken to finish this you know I mean what I mean the name of God would you be doing four chicken breasts for 33 euro but in normal this story has a point right normally in normal circumstances if I was in anywhere within my own brain or you know life I would say I'm terribly sorry 33 euro for four chicken breasts and a bit of chorizo. Are you joking? Right? But I'm out for the first time in about, you know, 12 years. So I go, okay, that's very much. 33 euro. Would you be well, Hilary? Would you be well? And then he just cooked the chicken breasts, right? And in, in this, he made an Indian meal. Sure, it could have been any old stuff, you know, that we, you know, it's all covered in spices. Anyway, I'll be quiet now. Sorry. So Caroline Downs has just said, and I think she speaks for a lot of people, I am so fed up with the supermarket shop. Mm. I think a lot of us are fed up with it. My, I am lucky to have a partner who, like, he's a bit obsessed with going for the... I've actually, a lot of women friends who's in, in this time have... The, the partners have taken on a real uh, forager mode, like, like the caveman going out to get the stuff supermarket you know the way they all stand around the barbecue like supermarkets then going for the stuff having to queue in the socially mcdonald's is open though hillary have you been down no i wouldn't go near it i'm going no i don't know yeah no i wouldn't either i think it's terrible terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i haven't been down the fish that's really good Oh, the fish, when you see, yeah, yeah. Can I just say, I don't know if I've said it on this big night in before, but there's a recipe on um, online. If you go to Gordon Ramsay's 10-minute fish and chips, right, it takes a little bit longer in real life. But, oh, my God, I have been making it so much. And it is the nicest fish and chips that I've ever had. And you can make it shallow frying it, not deep frying, because I don't have a deep fat fryer. But it's shallow frying fish and chips, and it is it has been a revelation for me in this lockdown. So I just need to put that out there. Gordon Ramsay, 10 minute fish and chips. Google it. You will thank me at the next big night in. You'll be all going, yeah, thanks for that, Roisin. Because honestly, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, So now, Hilary, what else will we talk about? Um, What's next? Are you writing another book? How are you being, are you being creative in lockdown? I'm kind of, well, I'm trying to, you know, one of the, actually one of the things about, and I don't know how relevant this is to anybody else, but, um, and I was writing about this in the column last year, and I think actually that's why they gave me the columnist of the year, because I think that, you know, I was thinking about this. I, I was, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they just gave it to you because you were the best columnist. Well, the thing was that I, I had a bit of a bumpy childhood, you know, and a bit of a bumpy adolescence, etc. And, um, and I wasn't very good at school. And, things didn't work out too well for me in school and I didn't, you know, wasn't allowed into the, into the honours leaving cert for my English, for English, you know, because, you know, the way, anyway. Um, and so things didn't work out well for me in school and it took me a long time to kind of find my, my, my metier, find my level and I never went to university or anything like that and I started working when I was 16. So that was a thing that was always kind of part of my in my head you know I was thinking like I married ended up marrying this guy who who went to university and then did him you know 
went on and did more, you know, did a postgraduate and all the rest. And he'd, he used to talk to me about his college days and all the times that he had to read and think and be in a band, you know, and he was a punk and everything. You know? Like I was just working, man. I was working in childcare and I was waitressing and, you know. And so when I was 50s, just after Mary died, because Mary was very sick in the end, but my mum was very sick for the last couple of years. And just after she died, literally about a month after she died uh, in 2017, she died in August of 17, I went to Trinity in, in that September. And they let me onto their master's programme in creative writing, even though I didn't have any post, um, you know, I didn't have been in college before. Anything. And for someone who used to actually fear walking onto that arch, you know, the guys, you know, the arch in mm. Trinity. Right? I think, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Connell as you say that. Do you know that bit of oh, normal yeah. people where Connell walks in the arch, it's dark and then it's light. It's such a beautiful, yeah. beautiful image. Gorgeous moment. But carry on, sorry. I, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with normal people. Sorry. Go onto that arch. And I used to have that a kind of sensation. And I'm a Dubliner, you know, and I, I'd often walk through there on my way and cut through onto Dawson's through some. But I would always feel somehow that I, this wasn't okay, that I was a, an intruder. I was not, it was not really all right. And it was just an internalized sense of loss, I think, about education, really, that I was carrying around and blaming the architecture, you know. And um, so then when they offered me a place in the master's course in Trinity, it was the most extraordinary year of my life. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And I... I think I told you, Roisin, you know, there was a moment when, um, I don't know if you guys know, you know, the library in Trinity, when you go in, like the, the levels are like there's glass walls. So you can see all the books, you know, like floors and floors and floors of books. And we were given a tour of the library and shown how to use the references. And, stuff. and I was overwhelmed I felt absolutely overwhelmed. I, I, I think I said, Nicole, I mean, I could have lain down on the floor and wept. I felt so overwhelmed. And, you know, there were lovely, beautiful young people with beautiful young bodies texting each other to do beautiful things later, you know. And I was just standing there looking at these floors of books and thinking, I, I can, you know, this is mine. This is, I can do. That. Oh God, you're making me very really upset. Like I haven't had that experience either. I, I dropped out of college. I'm a disaster. But I love how you appreciated that. Yeah. And, and every time, you know, I go in there and I just like, you know, I just, it was unreal. Like it was unreal, you know, and to go into the buttery and buy, you know, a salad for like a euro. And I'm like, <laughs> and then I completely forget, you know, and then I'd see myself in the big loo, you know, the wind mirror mirrors and the big toilet and I who's that woman you know I my head I was like 19 and um I think I was though do you know short of throwing a scarf around myself you know Peter who you just met um you know my shy son very shy I love how he came right in though I appreciate that he's like you call yeah. me in I'm gonna be well, there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. I remember you know one day um now do tell me stop talking if I'm going on no but one day we had to hand in a paper, you know, we had to hand in this kind of essay. And, you know, the way you have to hand it in and they kind of stamp the time and it had to be in by midday, you know. So we did it and it was all very exciting. And then somebody said, right, where are we going for a drink? And I'm like, oh, it's 12 o'clock, you can't go for a drink now. <laughs> go home and have your lunch, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I go, oh, and they, so we went to a bar on Baggett Street and uh, somebody bought cigarettes, you know. So I'm like smoking and drinking in Baggett Street. And then I just thought, suddenly felt like I'm going to pass out. I have to go home. So I got the dart home. And it was only this day, about three o'clock, you know. <laughs> and I went in, Peter was in the kitchen. And he, and I told him, I said, you know, everybody went to a bar and they were smoking and they were drinking. And I was smoking and I was drinking. And just because we got our essay in, you know, and he, what are you doing home? Get back in there. Get back in, you know. Anyway. It was look. Oh. All I can say is, if you haven't done it, and you get an opportunity to go to to go anywhere, oh God, I don't know, I don't. It was. I, I just love it though, Hillary, that you had that opportunity and that you took it with both hands. And I know because you were caring for your mother in the last time of her life, and there was a thought that you weren't going to be able to do it because you would have to defer. Yeah. And then Mary died. Mary died. And there was. Yeah. 
yeah, Mary died and, and I wasn't going to go and I, I had been offered the place and then she was very sick and I just thought, no, I can't leave, you know, I, I just can't leave her. I'm just, I, I won't leave, I'm not leaving her and that's it. And so then she died on um, just, just three weeks before. So I was literally about to phone the college and say, I have to, have to not do this. But I'm, uh, this, uh, that was a really long-winded answer to your question, which was, are you writing another book? So Oh, yeah. So I had gone in to do the masters with kind of these, I can only describe them as like kind of little islands of work. And my friend, Michelle Forbes, writer is that I can see you there, Michelle. And Michelle, um, and Maureen White is hopefully there as well. We have a, a little writers group, the three of us. And, um, and in the first year that we got together in our writers group, all three of us got a publishing um, deal. And, um, but anyway, I went in with these little islands of work that I had developed along with Michelle and with Maureen. And so having the time in Trinity, and I worked with Deirdre Madden, who I, I think is a very a very underrated uh, writer in this country. She's brilliant. And she really helped me to find structure and to put Way to Love together. And so now um, my current adventure is to see if I can write a book on my own without the stabilizers. Um, okay. So I'm wobbling around the block, really, <laughs> you know. Um, Hilary, that's great to know. So you are writing a new book because we yeah. need another one. Yeah. There's been some such amazing comments. Like Simon said earlier that her friend says that organic shops, like you should just drive past them and just throw 30 quid out the window. <laughs> that's basically, just just do that. And, um, you know, people are finding it quite emotional listening to you talk about that feeling of college and of seizing something that you thought was lost to you in a way. Um, so I think it's a good time to maybe open it up to everyone. Okay, Maureen. Hello. Hello. How are you? Um, Hilary, I really enjoyed tonight on Rushing as well. It's, it's been brilliant. I just wanted to know, you know, um, when you're doing your column, does it take you long to actually write it from start to finish? And do you kind of leave it to the end to start to give yourself that wee bit of pressure to make, you know, to, to do it? Yeah, thanks, Maureen. Uh, it's been interesting because uh, my run-in pre-COVID, I had a two-week run-in um, to the column. And actually, I, uh, yeah, and I found that a little bit more difficult because you were trying to anticipate maybe mm. how your voice was going to land two weeks hence, right? Mm. And then at the start of this, uh, of the pandemic, our my editor, my new editor, uh, Connor, said, I asked him, could I have a week long run into it instead? Because, you know, you could say something and then it's published two weeks later and, and it's, it's just irrelevant and everyone's moved on. So that, so he said, yeah, that was fine. And I find that, I find that the, that kind of keeps me more alert and I prefer it. And I'm supposed to file on a Friday. My new editor, I'm much more disciplined than I used to be with my old editor. But, uh, <laughs> Because so her old editor is a complete flake and a messer. Yeah. That was handy for you. I wasn't scared of my, I wasn't scared of my old editor. Um, so I tend to write it uh, on the day, to be honest, because um, I'm trying to be as kind of alive with it as I can be. I'm very lucky. I have I have one ace up my sleeve that you know I'm probably you know supposed to keep quiet about, but that is my my husband is a former Irish Times uh, sub who and so he he um he edits my copy before I send it in mm. but he works on my copy before I send it in and he'll say to me do you really mean that you you know you want to go down the river in a basket and I go uh did I say basket no I didn't mean basket you know that kind of <laughs> yeah. you know and that is so we have a kind of cottage industry here and he's he's incredibly he's incredibly kind to me um both with my all my work really in terms of he's a very good editor so he's he's around Thank God, because I can neither spell nor make a sentence. You know, I wrote a sentence the other day, which was 126 words long. And I think the Irish Times died as well. I wrote, but, and he said to me, Hillary, do you know that's, he actually counted it. And he said, that sentence is 126 words long. That's and shocking. I changed this sentence. So I put in a caveat for it. I said, dear reader, please forgive the 126 words. <laughs> <laughs> So I love it. That some sub inside Brilliant. was going to touch it up otherwise. But yeah, I, I tend to go to fly by the seat of my pants, really. Listen, yeah. Maureen, thank you very much for your question. Yeah, We're going to you. go on to Annie. Hi, I, I don't know your work at all. There were just two things I wanted to say. One is 
doing your master's as a first degree is pretty impressive by any standards. So I wanted to say congratulations on that. And um, and I wondered whether you were aware of when that imposter syndrome that you talked about, that thing about I shouldn't be here, um, were, were you aware of when that left you? Have you been able to walk into your success? Yeah, what I a think- great question. Sorry, Annie, I just love yeah. that, walk into your success. May we all walk into our success? Absolutely. Please. Step into it. Mm. Lovely question. I can tell you when the imposter syndrome began. And I, 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 and I think that's a very, very interesting question about whether you can walk into your success. You know, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I can't, if I don't know if I've managed that yet. You know, I, I think that the wonderful thing about being in Trinity was that I felt there was an anonymity to it. You know what I mean? I was learning and, and the difference, you know, when you work freelance and I was an actor and then a writer and columnist and playwright and all the rest of it and you're always putting stuff out there you know what I mean you're always pumping stuff out there and a lot of that is just about you know um just you know earning some money you know just just making Mm. a wage with zero qualifications and and you know just just living you know jobbing around the place and the thing about when I went into Trinity was there was a stillness there and Mm. that really allowed me to think and really allowed me to work which was amazing and that imposter syndrome that I felt had begun years earlier. My father was a very, um, very clever man and lovely and very, very humorous, very witty. But he, his desire was to be seen to be something, you know, somebody who had money and somebody who had influence, and he didn't. And I always felt that I was going to be found out as being poor or being unworthy all the time as a child. I was terrified of somebody saying, are you poor? You know, and, and I remember when it happened to me and about six, six or seven, feeling really so ashamed, you know, and it's a weird thing. It was all about status. And I remember, and I loved my father dearly, you know, but I remember uh, Michelle, you remember this, Michelle Ford and I, we were acting, we were in the Abbey and we were going on tour to Russia and America in the 80s. And I was understudying and a photographer came into rehearsal and took my photograph and put it on the front page of a paper and but I was the understudy. It really shouldn't really have done that. And I met my dad and we were going to go meet some friends of his. And he said, for God's sake, don't tell them you're an understudy. You know, there was always that kind of thing of like, don't be more than, be more mm. than. Don't, don't, don't let, don't let the side down, you know? And mm. so I, I carry that feeling around a lot with me. And after a year in Trinity, that just kind of let the smoothing out I felt it was just, oh, it was just oh. so uplifting. And you have, you have to consciously hold on to that. But thank you. It's yeah. a brilliant question. That's great that's, question. That's okay. Thank I you. have to. Um, thank, thank you, Annie. It's great. We have such an international gathering. I'm loving it. Um, Geraldine Blake has said a lovely thing, which I'm just going to read out because I think it's so cool. Hilary and Roisin are the second and third writers I admire that did not go to university. Now, I did, but I dropped out. So that's my thing. Um, I dropped out after first year. Um, and Sue Townsend, author of Adrian Mill Diaries, was the other. If university did not teach it, where did you get your skills to be a successful writer? Is that to you or to me? No, that's to you. I'm asking you, but I just think it's like something you can't be taught, really, in a weird way. Who knows? I mean, who knows? They talk down there about a kind of, uh, uh, you know, like in psychoanalytical terms, that people talk about a kind of splitting, don't they? You know, I think I remember as a child feeling um, at some point that I started observing what was happening around me. I definitely have that as well. I totally understand that. I totally have that. And I can trace it. I think I was about, you know, I think I was about four when I suddenly started thinking, you know, like when you weren't, when you were inhabiting your world, but not, not entirely inhabiting your world. Like you were there, but maybe 20% of yourself that wasn't there. There's maybe 20% of yourself that was kind of sitting in the sycamore having a look at yourself going, really? <laughs> and are, you know, you're not going to get away with that for long. But <laughs> that kind of sense of that splitting, and I, God, I'm sure that's really psychologically deeply, un, deeply unhealthy. But, um, you know, I do have that sense of feeling that I was always watching. Mm. 
And so then writing is just like, writing is like just the biggest relief. It's like, it's yeah. like you know, it's just, such, isn't it? I mean, you yeah, I, I do too. I especially feel it in this lockdown. I was worried about how I would manage it. But honestly, like when I sit down and I just get it all out of me and then I just close the thing and I just walk away, I just feel like, okay, that's, I've done that. I've, I've processed that a bit. I've put it out there. I'll probably feel completely different tomorrow, but I don't care in this moment. That's what I'm feeling. And I do feel it's such a privilege to be able to, to do that. And then for people to, maybe it resonates with people. It's wonderful to feel like you're not alone and that you're not totally mad on your own. That kind of thing. I heard Edna, I, on our way to the incredibly expensive uh, organic market this morning, put the radio on on the M50. And um, what are we doing on the M50? Well, anyway, there you go. But, yeah, that's uh, um, madness. Ed Brian was on the radio. I don't know if you guys heard her this morning on the radio. Oh, I'd love to have heard it. I'll, I'll listen back. She was fantastic and because, you know, she just won the Kerry Group Award and, you know, she was talking about being skinned, trying to manage, you know, uh, her life um, and uh, financially as a writer. But she was talking about the imperative to write and she was talking about the importance of writing to stay, to stay alive and stay, to stay, to stay connected to the world. And she also said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing her really badly here but she was kind of saying that once you make the emotion once you make the commitment to the page and once you make the commitment to the process then it is absolutely imperative that you maintain that commitment Mm. and that you do it to the best of your ability and I think that it's just you know I do think it's a gift to be able to to be able to relieve yourself of some of the pressure by writing you know Really I, I, I agree with you completely. I can't believe you've only a few minutes left. I, a couple of people have said so far that they could listen to you all night, Hilary. And I don't think they're just being nice. I think. <laughs> and, and some people, we've had, this is our fifth big night in, right? And we've had some brilliant people. And a couple of people have also said this is the best one we've had. And I mean, you know, honestly, I, I felt like that when I went to interview you just before the lockdown. I mean, and I know you very well, but I sat down with you in the doghouse in Hoth and honestly like I just had the best couple of hours and I went home on the dark just thinking I could I just literally listened to you lucky people in your house I hope they appreciate you (laughs) I'm sure they don't they gather around the fireside and say mother mother tell us a story all right I'm gonna go to Maura because we've got a couple more questions Maura hey Maura Maura can I just say lovely artwork beautiful vista there in your kitchen appreciating (laughs) it Thank you. This is great. Thank you very much. Um, I have two questions. I read you every week in the paper and you're so funny, but um, I'm wondering how your cat is. And Good question. Then the second one is, um, are you, I went to see Famished Castle, uh, directed by Lynn Parker, who I think is also on this um, high, and it was brilliant. And I'm wondering, are there any more plays in the offing? Yeah. Okay, Maura and Hilary, can I just go and get a top up of my wine? Is that okay? Is that acceptable while you... Yes, can we talk among ourselves. Can I get permission from everybody? Because it does, you know... I brought a bottle in with me. <laughs> um, thanks a million for, for both the questions. The cat is... Uh, the cat's not looking too hot, actually. Um, oh, man, I don't know what to do. Um, she she bit the vet the last time we brought her to the vet. She oh, bit him really badly. And the vet got in a very, very bad mood with me. Like, as if, you know, I could do anything about it. Um, she's okay. You know, she's old. She's, you know, she's still trotting around the place. Um, do you put sun cream on her ears, like Ruth? No, that was my sister's cat. And it's funny, in, in The Weight of Love, um, I write about a cat that gets cancer of the ear, uh, which, is, which is completely uh, based on my sister's cat, which is called Squeak. Uh, my sister can't stand the I think there's something in our family. We have cats that none of us get on with. I don't know what that's about. But um, Squeak got uh, ear cancer. So Laura puts uh, sun cream on Squeak's ear. But Holly, my cat, has uh, black ears. So she's okay. Um, she, she was separated from her mother too early and she came to us as a kind of orphan. And it's a very long story. I won't go into it. The thing about plays is that I would absolutely love to write a play. I would give my left arm to write a play. And I'm really, really, really worried um, about our industry, about the playwriting industry, about actors. My son, Peter, he met with the beard as an actor. Um, he's lost his flat. His agents are furloughed. Uh, he's got no work. Um, oh, my great friends who my have my lifetime with are struggling. A lot of them are struggling. Um, there is no work. There are people who've moved back to their parents' box rooms, um, people who are designers and who are 
producers and who are actors and directors and how do we how do we maintain the art form you know it is a responsibility it, it, it is a national responsibility and it, it has to be addressed and i and it's funny my niece kate is a paramedic and she's on the front line and i said to her i shouldn't be and we were talking recently i said um, on the family whatsapp again i said i shouldn't be talking about art you know you, you you're you're the front line and she said hillary you can't you can't separate it out why do you why do you separate it out you know art art is part of who we are it is part it is an integral part of our soul of our spirit and of ourselves and you know our health doesn't finish at our neck you know what i mean our health carries all the way up into here into here and so we need to address what's happening in the arts. And it is, you know, Lynn, who's the most, you know, I've had wonderful, wonderful. Is Lynn time. here, Hilary? I don't know. I'm not sure because I can. Yeah, I'm, what a legend. I can just see. But, you know, my mates, you know, Michelle and I worked together. You know, Maureen um, White is the most fantastic dramaturg who I worked with in Rough Magic for years. And, you know, I, it is really, it is heartbreaking to imagine um just heartbreaking to imagine where, who we would be without theatre. And we have to find a way of supporting artists uh, during this period. Moira, thank you very much. Did that you. answer your question? Did you get the cat bit in? I missed that because I went for my uh, lovely <laughs> white wine. Fantastic. She's, uh, and Rosita, Rosita, who's here, is has said that she's very glad that I got topped up. So I just want to appreciate. <laughs> shout out to Rosita. So. Thank you, Moira, for that. Um, we really, uh, I think we're probably at the end um, we've gone over, which we haven't done for any of the other ones either, Hilary. So uh, I just, so as nice. always, I, I mean, do you know what's brilliant is that, and it happens every couple of weeks when we have these things, the messages come in and people say that they were feeling low and it kind of lifted them up or uh, anyway, I just, there's something about, even though it's Zoom and I don't generally like it's Zoom wrecks my head, but for these, these are the best things I do on Zoom. I don't know whether it's the amount of people, like we've had 250 people here solidly Hillary listening to you you know all the way through and a lot of them are Irish Time subscribers who have come on board since uh since lockdown and people who really started to value more the fact that we're giving a service and that it's a digital thing as well as as a print product and I want to say thank you very much to anyone on here who was subscribing and if you're not subscribing maybe you might consider it because I think we give a really good uh product out there and we're trying to expand it in all these different ways but as always, uh, just to say to everyone here, like, and I'm looking at you all, and I think that's what it is. I think it's just seeing you all. I'm going to flick through now, like Attractor, like Attractor. See, this is the thing. Hey, Attractor. I mean, who, you know, Attractor's a name, isn't it, that you wouldn't hear very much anymore. And anyway, it's brilliant to see you. Like Bernice Harrison's there, you know, Gwendolyn, Catherine, Elizabeth, um, Mary. I'm just naming a few years because I think there's something. Kathy McAndrew. My friend Simon, check her out with the lovely glasses there. And Annie and Neve. And it's weird. How can we feel like we're kind of together and we're so not? We're in totally separate things. But what I, what I think and what I hope is, um, is the reason we feel like that is because the people I'm choosing for these encounters are very open. They're giving of themselves. They're down to earth and they're not, you know, up themselves is what I'd say. And Hillary, you're the most not up, up themselves person uh, that we've had on, I think. Um, so anyway, that was a bit of a. I have had a bit like a two glasses of wine now, and because um, I normally that's probably my limit too. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Green and Blacks. And some of you, with your brilliant comments, are going to be getting hamster hamsters. She means hamsters. I, I have a hamster. I don't know if you can see. We have a hamster there in his cage. His name is Mocha. But you won't be getting hamsters. I'm so sorry. It's going to be a hamper of green and black's chocolate. And Hilary, have you some final words for us? Not about hamsters. Yeah, it's a hard time. I think it's a hard time for everybody, you know. And I think we I think we've all had to learn to live with ourselves. And I just hope that the self you've found is, you know, is livable with because you know. You're lovely. I mean, everyone I can see looks really lovely. So, yeah, just thanks for having me, man. It was just great. It was really, oh. really appreciated. And it's, and it's really uplifting because I actually felt really a bit sad today or a bit kind of like shook or like, oh my God, what's going to happen? 
what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, this is what happened. And this was a beautiful thing. So thanks. Yeah. And just to to say, to keep it real, someone has said two glasses, Roshi, and I saw the size of those glasses. (laughs) And I think those those people, whoever said that is probably (laughs) hands up. One more thing before we go, though. I do think uh, Peter went to the press today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that we've been talking about on the podcast this week. We had three amazing young black Irish women on uh, just talking about um, the difference between not being racist and being anti-racist. And and I just think it's a lot of, I mean, I, just from my own WhatsApp group, my family group and, and just conversations I'm having with people, it's something that I think we're all talking about a lot more and starting to see in a different way is it something that's exercising you at the moment Hillary and just with George Floyd and everything that's going on in America hugely hugely and I look and I, I especially you know my uh, my 18 year old just came down to me the other day and he he you know, the when it when the video came out you know and he was just and it it reminded me of when he was a little boy it reminded me of when he was about eight and he maybe discovered that Santa Claus wasn't real or something it's like he came down to me and his whole face just registered a kind of terrible shock or, or loss of belief, a loss of, yeah, loss of security, you know, and he's, you know, he was, he's 18 he's just, how did that happen? No, and he's not naive, he's not stupid. How did it happen? And I mean, it, it's, been, it's been absolutely an, a huge thing it's been an absolutely enormous thing, enormous thing and so you know maybe we have to make very close examinations of ourselves to see where we are with that you know and the young people that I work with in fighting words whose experience of of Ireland and his experience of life is so fascinating and so different I worked with a beautiful I'm working with a beautiful young writer who said to me the other day I was born in an inn I was born in an inn like Jesus and she was laughing. And I said, what was the inn, Elizabeth? And she said, I was born in the Premier Inn, just opposite the airport. You know, and like her story, her story is so extraordinary and so wonderful. And on a personal level, I just try and stay, I just try and stay open. I just try and stay open. Yeah. And I think that's it. I'd love if, if all of you listening had listened to the latest episode of the Women's Podcast, because I certainly learned a lot. And I think... This is a time for listening and a time for um, growing as people. And anyway, just to say thank you, Hillary, because this has been fantastic. Um, I knew it would be, but look, we can all do this. We do this now on Zoom when we're saying this is our applause. Okay, you can see all the faces and everybody doing it. Thank you, everyone. Um, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. We have some hopefully great. Suzanne is on it, aren't you, Suzanne? Suzanne is on the next guests, and it's going to be brilliant. Um, and some of you will be getting those lovely hampers. They will not be hamsters. So don't come writing to me when you didn't get a hamster because it's not a hamster. And Hillary, you're brilliant. Thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks a lot. Take Bye. care. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much to my brilliant guest, Hilary Fannin, and her novel is called The Weight of Love, and I can't recommend it highly enough. If you want to get in touch with us about anything at all, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, and you can email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. That's all we have time for. Stay safe and thank you very much for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.